Dave and Giggles on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're Dave and Giggles. We're going to start this off. We have an amazing guest today, uh, a legend in the music industry. Uh, we're going to get to know him over the next 30 minutes. Gilbert O'Sullivan, live from Jersey. Thank you for uh, gracing us with your presence. Uh, we know that, you know, you, you perform in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And to give Dave and Giggles 30 minutes of your time, it's a, it's a gift to us. So I, I am appreciative of, uh, of your time spent with us. Well, it's said. nice to be talking. It's nice to be talking to both of you. Of course, it, it is. It uh, you know why not? It's it's uh, it's going to be an enjoyable interview. Great, excellent. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the album you just released. It yeah. driven. You're going on a bunch of like a tour dates in New York City. I kind of want to try to. I have something on the 11th in uh, in Colorado, but I want to try to catch you at City Winery in New York City because that is an amazing venue. The City Wineries are awesome venues. Those are those are solid, cool. 
acoustically, environmentally cool venues. So I'm excited. Uh, just give us a little bit of a, this, this tour. I mean, first of all, let's say March 12th, he's going to be at New York City Winery in New York City and March 11th at the Boston City Winery. So he's making the tours of the city wineries, which is amazing. Yeah, and of course, the the, the new one in New York is, the, uh, we played the old one three years ago. So the new one is a really nice venue. Yeah, and the right show the you, you know, the nice thing about the wineries is the, the venues are very suitable for what we're doing because it's just myself and my guitar player. Up close, personal, intimate show. So oh, wow. the the ideal venue for that. It's not a large arena or a, or a theater. Do you so, like the more intimate setting rather than like a, playing a huge, you know, the giant band? Do you like the more intimate thing more than? Well, at the moment, yes, because we've been doing this now for three years. I, I have a really good band, but they're not with us on these trips and stuff. The nice thing about the, the just the two of us is that occasionally with the band, you get criticism for, you know, we couldn't hear the words. It was so loud. And so what the nice thing about what we're doing now, the intimacy of it all is that people get to hear every word very clearly. And it's and up close and personal. So it, it 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 just adds something very different to being with the band. Although I love uh, rocking it out with the band and stuff. But it's and the the, the winery venues um, suit us perfectly. So it's we're really looking forward to coming That's over. That's great. That's awesome. Oh, I was just gonna say, you were gonna I was gonna make a joke, but you know, I was gonna give you some time, Dave. I was gonna say it's kind of intimate, and you can hear every word, kind of like this. Kind of like now this. that we got now that we got rid of the echo, we may put the uh, the sort of technical difficulties of the show, the beginning of the show, in the beginning of the show, just because it's fun. You know, sometimes you, you, you got to figure things out. Um, I so right now we're doing obviously a video interview over Zoom, and you're sitting down, but I, I watched this video of you going through sort of your musical collection and just these albums and your, uh, I think it was the behind the songs video that uh, was a few years ago, maybe it's actually like 10 years ago, but you just had this collection of music and it was like new music as well. And I just thought that was so interesting that, I mean, obviously like you, you, you like the stuff that was, uh, you know, back then, but you, you're keeping up with like what's happening today. Like you've got, are, and this video was about 10 years ago. Do you still sort of keep a keen ear to the music that's popping out now? Are you still buying all the records i'm still buying i mean i buy everything you can't be a contemporary songwriter uh if you don't like what's going on you have to you have to be it's hearing that allows you to be able to write in the first place you didn't pass an exam to do it you listened to the radio you heard great music it got in one ear and came out as a song on the uh, through the other ear so that's the whole thing so i buy everything because i can learn from it yeah the adults that i love john mayer and stuff i love alison krauss i love I mean, well, who I doesn't it. love john mayer i mean come on the guy's <laughs> like a, a, a you know a dreamboat he plays the guitar he looks good like i mean come on you know he's got somebody was like that guy's got it you know yeah i think yeah. i've told this on the uh on the uh on the show before but i'll tell gilbert because it's a, it's a funny little anecdote but in college i had a guy who slept on my couch for many many months and then as the the time he was sleeping on my couch I came to find out that he was John Mayer's brother, but <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I had a good tie with his brother. And then it was during the time where he was becoming popular. So I was, he, he'd be like, Hey, you want to go see my brother? He's playing down. And I was like, ah, nah, not tonight, not tonight. And then he's like, Oh, wanna, my brother's playing on Letterman tonight. And I was like, wait, what? Who's your brother? And then it was John Mayer. So <clears throat> that was, that was, that was a fun little uh, thing to come by. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a cool, he's a cool. You know, I bought all his albums and stuff. You know, like we saw him in Vegas, um, <clears throat> and my two daughters were there, um, teenagers, and well, actually early twenties, the girls. 
And it was a midnight show. It was a New Year's Eve show. And he had a few to drink, I think, before he came out on stage. <laughs> anyway, the, one of the first things he said when he walked down and says, if there's any girls out there who want to get pregnant, come forward now. Oh, no. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> he must have been a little drunk. <laughs> yeah, my two girls were saying, yes, us, us. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? They're like, my dad's a songwriter. This is perfect. It'll be, uh, we'll get you connected in the uh, European markets. Jeez. I mean, I guess it's sometimes it is, you know, it's that line. It's good to be a rock and roller, but then, you know, sometimes you got to, you know. All right. I have a question for you. When did you sort of realize that you're like, all right, I'm going to make the decision to go full time songwriting? Like, I'm a songwriter, I'm a lyricist, composer. I want to do this full time. Let's go rock and roll. I think that it was because uh, once the Beatles arrived, we all wanted to be in a band because yeah. we identified with them and stuff. They could write great songs, they couldn't read music, they looked different. So we identified with them, we all want to be in a band. So I started off with a small, I played drums in the band, school band, youth club band, then a more serious band, the more serious band called Rick's Blues, Rick Davis on keyboards, myself on drums. I was beginning to write songs in the band. We went to London, we made a couple of demos of my songs and we could have turned professional. That's what Rick and I were thinking, you know, we're, we're going to be a professional band. That's what we want to do in the future. But the bass player and the guitar player were on apprenticeships. So they didn't want to risk giving it all up. So that meant that Rick and I had to decide what to do. Rick needed to be in a band. He wasn't a solo performer. So he joined a band called The Joint, which became a band called The Lonely Ones, which ended up becoming Super Drum. Sure. So he did okay. And then I ended up becoming me. <laughs> so, so I, <laughs> not a bad, yeah, not a bad part. Yeah, yeah. That's it, yes. <laughs> when you started That's out cool. with drums, do because uh, I know a lot of, you know, drummers who started out with drums and they're, and they're their parents are like, oh, my God, they're playing the drums. They're learning how to play the drums. Do you think, would you go back and uh, do anything different? Would you would you say to anybody, don't start with the drums, start with the piano or start with, you know, like guitar? Would would you say the drums benefited you as a as a beginning instrument? I, I kind of, I'm not really, Dave, I'm not into kind of self-analysis, why or what. Suffice to say, that I I had I tried guitar. I'm uh -huh. left-handed. There were no left-handed guitars in mm -hmm. Swindon where I lived and stuff. So I had to have a uh, writing. So I had guitar lessons, and I didn't like guitar lessons, and, and so I gave that up. And then moved on to the drums, tin cans to begin with. And I was, you know, Rick Davis and Superdome was in Rick's Blues was a much better drummer than me, but I could keep rhythm fairly mm -hmm. steady. Stuff. So that's all I needed to be. So I was quite happy with that, but. You know, once I got into songwriting seriously, once I got into being a performer and artist on my own, you know, I, I, a couple of tracks that I played on earlier albums, I played the drums myself and stuff. But that's just a knockabout. Uh, I mean, it's when I'm recording with anybody, I don't emphasize the drums more because I used to play them. Right. You know, as long as it's a good drummer who keeps time, I'm happy. Was there one moment in your early career where you were like, this this is it. This is what I want. Like, was there a moment where you were like, this has made me a professional? I, I don't know about making me a professional. It made me excited. And, and for example, the, the apprenticeship I served was coming to London in 1967. Flower Power was huge. huge. 67, 60, 68, 67, 69. The recording I made during that time, I wasn't that happy with. And so I, I left record companies, got into another record company, not that great. Meeting Gordon Mills and writing Nothing Rhymed, first success in England. When I, the recording session for that with him, with Gordon Mills as the producer, it was just a revelation for me because every recording I'd done previously, I felt my songs had been ruined. And here I was with a, a bass player, a drummer, 
me at the piano singing live vocal, a live vocal, and recording Nothing Rhymed and what would be the B-side. And I came out of that session just on top of the world. No idea if it would be a success out in the marketplace. For me, the success that I was aiming for happened that night in making that, making that recording. It went on to be a big success, but had it not been a big success, that, that moment still, I'd live with that because it's just the feeling when you're recording, when you're singing, when you're playing, and it's just magical. Absolutely. For, for you, when you're in England in 1967, you have the, I think the Beatles are coming out with Sgt. Pepper. You have Pink Floyd coming out with um, Pipers at the Gates of Dawn, like kind of being the house band and, you know, the it kids. What was England in 1967 like for you? You were young. You were like, you were ready to go. Like, what was the feeling for you in, in, in coming into that? Well, I mean, I was an oddball because I didn't, I didn't fit the image was a dirty word in 67 68 flower power was here james taylor look was here long hair jeans mm. I, I was the total opposite i created a character called gilbert charlie chaplin jacket cap and boots pudding basin haircut i looked freakish with my hair mm -hmm. i really suffered with girlfriends because i mean put you know today the hairstyle is very short but in sure. 1967 that hairstyle looked really weird and stuff yeah so I was, but i did that because the catalyst for me as an image was were the beatles they didn't have to have fringes with their hair come forward they didn't have to have colorless jackets they didn't have to look different they wrote great songs they would have always been successful but i kind of wanted that image and so it was the, the character was gilbert i didn't call myself gilbert o'sullivan to begin with i just called myself gilbert and but if you looked at the credits for the song on the record, you see, it was written by somebody called O'Sullivan. So I kind of liked that people didn't know it was me. And so I looked very different. So I didn't fit in at all. No record company liked how I looked. Everybody hated the image. And they were right because the record company would say, look, Ray, that image you're doing, that you presented, nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to walk around the campus with your album looking like you're doing it. So therefore, if you drop that and grow your hair, put on jeans, you're going to sell far more records than you're ever going to sell. So, so I embraced all the music happening at that time. I loved uh, the Beatles, of course, the Stones, like the Birds, mm -hmm. Eight Miles High, you know, magic stuff. And but in terms of how I looked, that hurt, that hindered me in being identified with. If I'd looked the way they wanted me to look, uh, I would have been bored out of my mind. So, so I kind of liked uh, how I looked. So you stuck to your guns. You stuck to your yeah. guns. You're like, yeah. I know this is going to work. Yeah, I mean, no, there's no way of not. It could have been a Tiny Tim scenario. Of course. But the songwriting is serious, but the image is light. When mm -hmm. I came to America in 72, I had the G-sweater, what I saw on a Buster Keaton film. You know, so I, I, I had the image thing, which dogged me. Because critics, music people into music, don't like images. You know, they mm -hmm. want to see O'Sullivan looking like we look. And they're right. I mean, I, there's no question about that. I'm not complaining about it. I'm very aware of why people didn't like how I looked. I'm very aware of that the record company would have sold far more many more records if i had looked the way that but I, in retrospect if i'd have done that i would have deeply regretted it yeah when i look back on the image now i'm really proud of what i did because it was very different yeah I, I i hear when i listen to a lot of your interviews i hear you bring up image a lot and uh you're, you talk about image and how it kind of molded you and do you think about image now or do you just kind of kind of like i'm me I am who I am. I'm going to be. This is my image. Or do you think, do you try to change and kind of like come up with new ideas? No, I think, Dave, first of all, I was very me. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's, you, that's yeah. what I was. Yeah, so I had the image for three years and then Nothing Rhyme takes off big time, big hit all over Europe and stuff. And so I kept that till 71. And then I changed in 71. 
I'd started to grow my hair a bit because once you've established this image, then you can just move on. Then you yeah. got to a point where it's no longer necessary to do something to be different, to create an image. You just look kind of normal. So, you know, I so saw after the G sweater, that was, that's, that was the end of it. Then yeah. I just concentrated on the, on the writing and uh, let things grow and develop the way they did. Exactly. Sometimes you got to do a bold move. You know, you got to say, Hey, this is, this is what I want to stick to. I'm going to do it. And I, you know, I'm going to make it happen. I like it. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I, I broke the, you know, the, the, I mean, if you imagine the business back in 67, 68, I mean, it was really, you know, there was a great time to be in London. I had a, had a flat with yeah. two other uh, people, three of us. Had I mean, fantastic time. Portobello Road, famous place where you go down Saturday, King's Road with the fashion. Magical, magical place and stuff. So it was great to be there. But here I was, doing, I was doing radio shows with my first records, 67. John Peel, very popular DJ in England. He liked Gilbert, Gilbert because Gilbert was different, very unusual. Yeah. He liked the song I was promoting called Disappear. Very unusual. So, so I was getting in, making inroads in a slight way with people who did like how I looked because it was different. But then, you know, that the once uh, success hit me, that's when they turned against me because prior to that, they didn't really know me. So once success started to happen, then people turned on the way I looked and stuff. Oh, to hell with it. <laughs> <laughs> but your family calls you Ray. Like every, your friends, do your friends call you Ray or do they call you Gilbert? Like, I mean, you, Ray, it's Ray. Ray. Yeah. yeah. Can we call you Ray or do you want to do Gilbert? We should probably do Gilbert because it's on the show. Like, Mike, you want to be called Giggles or do you like Mike? I, mean, <laughs> I actually, I, I do like Mike. Like Giggles, like, I mean, we've been doing this for like 13 years. <laughs> too long. Giggles started out too long. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we don't we don't care. We're still doing our thing. You know, we're. Uh, but do you, do, you, do you call yourself that because you giggle a lot or? I do giggle a lot. Yeah, I do get the giggles. Giggle. I've gotten the church giggles. I've gotten the uh, security guard giggles. I've gotten a lot of giggles in my life. Uh, then it makes sense. Then yeah. It makes sense. And I'm like, should we should we just stick with that? You know, like yeah, sometimes. I know. You think about sometimes your character. Yeah, exactly. We're You're like, like, what? Should we keep this going? But I mean, it's part of our life, just like, yeah. you know, coming up with music you gotta have a you gotta have a gimmick you gotta have a bit you know you gotta have something that kind of you know makes people remember you you know yeah i think so it worked for me i think yeah, yeah. it's, it's image music. it's all image right everything uh, yeah. comes down to image i mean you may know this about me i'm, I'm a you know purveyor of great images uh your image on instagram is great i love it i like I'm, I'm floating through here and i'm like I'm, I'm seeing the family and i'm seeing the grandkids and the daughters and stuff like that and i'm like gilbert looks like he's having an awesome time you know, just like traveling around, like, you know, like doing it right. Like, I feel like you're doing it right right now. Well, I mean, uh, you know, my daughter handles social media. I'm, I'm kind of, I get dragged to doing things. I don't necessarily want to do it. I mean, she'll mm -hmm. say, you got an interview this afternoon. I say, great, no problem. But I've got to go and look all right. So I've got to go and put on a clean shirt and <laughs> stuff. So the social media thing is, is important. And I mm -hmm. know she handles all that. But I, I, I try and stay kind of clear of it. You're not spearheading but, that. Well, you know, but yeah. it's interesting when we do a concert. Say, for example, yeah. the big concert in Liverpool not long ago. Well, back in the dressing room after the show, within five minutes of the show over, already it's online. Mm -hmm. Already yeah. people are talking about, you know, it's, it's way it's, different than 1967. <laughs> Gilbert. Wow, man, is it ever? Is it ever? It's crazy. But I, the power of it is very important. So I'm not knocking that. But I'm not very computer, I'm very computer illiterate. Mm. Uh, but my daughter, a... my daughter, you know, gets me to yeah that's why you have people to help you out that's that's the whole point you know we are talking to gilbert o'sullivan mm -hmm. uh, just a, a a career like no other it's for 
so many still going, years. still, still going. going, still he's still popping hits. Silver, when you get out on stage, do you still have the same feeling you did when you first started, or is is it kind of like, are you more at ease than you were? I don't know. Maybe you weren't at ease when you first started. Well, it's a kind of dichotomy in a stench because the split there is that I'm basically very shy and stuff. Uh, up, but off stage, I'm I'm pretty shy. If I meet people in the street, I kind of you know. And if I met people in the lift after a show who were watching the concert, I'd kind of bottle up. But on stage, I'm very, very comfortable. It's one of those weird things. I, because I'm singing my own songs, not anybody else's songs, mm. very confident, very, very confident and, and relaxed about it all. I like being on stage. I like talking to the audience. I like talking, you know, bringing up the odd story concerning a particular song. And, and the fact that all the songs are mine makes me really happy if i was singing other people's songs i think i'd be more nervous or i would be kind of uh, pretty nervous but i'm really comfortable on stage which is strange as i say in front of thousands of people here i am comfortable and yet i meet two or three of them after the show and i'm kind of when you I bottle up bottle up yeah it's weird. yeah
uh, City Winery in Boston, March 11th, and then City Winery in New York City, which Dave is going to go to uh, March 12th. And then I, I lost my window. That's what I was searching. Oh, no, that for. was great. That was great. But I got two. I got two. And then I, <laughs> my window just disappeared. We were, yeah. You were talking about technology. I know. Exactly. Robert O'Sullivan, Dave and Giggles. That was great. You're doing uh, great. Yeah. Thank um, you. Thank you. Uh, when you do, you were talking about um, playing your own music. When you do uh, collaborations, like I was watching the music video you did with uh, Katie Tunstall, which was great. That's a great song. You guys did it bang up job and the music video was great too you were really i love that that overcoat you were wearing that was talk about image that was great well that's the first video i've done in 30 years how did that feel bob it's kind of nice because meeting katie was the first time because we hadn't met i mean she heard the song we sent it to her she's based in los angeles so and then she loved the song so we sent her the track we said sing what you want so so that was it so so the collaboration was down the phone so therefore she came to London and we, we you know, got together to make the video and stuff. And, and uh, we had a great day and really enjoyed it and stuff. But I'm, you know, I'm not used to doing videos. I'm not really a total fan of uh, videos because I always feel the people in the videos are, are desperate to be film stars. Mm. And, stuff. So, so, and I, I find <clears throat> to watch music is not as comfortable as listening to it. I like to listen to music. I'm into listening to music, records, songs. I'm not mad about watching a three minute v- video of it. Uh, but, th- but then again, it works. And that's why we take yeah. love and uh, we did that. I enjoyed the, ex- I had, you know, I enjoyed the experience of doing it. It wasn't an elaborate video involving thousands of, of other people and costing a million dollars. It was really quite simply done. And yeah, so I enjoyed it. Good. When you go into writing um, something for yourself versus something with somebody, is there a difference? Do you, do you go into it differently? Is, say that again, Dave. When you write uh, music rather just for yourself, but with like for somebody else, like you did with Katie, like, do you think about it differently? Do you write it differently? No, no, the song was written before Katie heard it. We, we finished recording the song and I said to, to Andy Wright, the producer, he produced the Simply Red and Simple Minds. I said, Andy, you know, I think this, this song could be good for a duet. Uh, we really like the track. And, and so we think of a few people and I mentioned that Katie Tunstall had a record out a few years back called Suddenly I See, good song. And I felt it was kind of similar feel. So we, that's, that's how we approached it. I don't write with other people in mind. I don't write for a specific subject other than myself. I'm very comfortable in my zone, just writing songs, being happy with them, then eventually getting to make a record and stuff. I'm not one of these, you know, I don't co-write. Right. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable in what I do and I, I love doing it. I have a, the love of, of songwriting hasn't left me yet. Such good. That's good. And, Knock yeah. on wood on that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking there might be a Dave and Giggles song in his future. I think after this radio sh- interview, he's going to be like, you know what? Something about Dave and Giggles. It just, <laughs> it hits. He, he's going to step on the, the keyboard, the piano, and just start plunking away. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it. What do you think, Gilbert? You think? Watch out, Giggles. Watch out. Could, if these things appear in my songs, it's a subtle, there's a subtle hint of something I'll pick up on. So, so who knows in the future? The word Giggles <laughs> might turn up. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Uh, okay, I have the, the rest of the dates. March 15th in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, City, wine, uh, City Winery as well. March 16th in Cleveland, Ohio at the Music Box Supper Club. March 18th in St. Louis, Missouri, the City Winery in St. Louis. March 19th in Chicago. That would be a good one. City Winery in Chicago. March 21st, Atlanta, Georgia, City Winery, Atlanta. And March 22nd, ooh, closing it out in Nashville. Nice. All right, you ready for this, Gilbert? Have you seen, have you heard of Nashville? They call it Nash Vegas now. 
I, don't I have a house there. there. I, I have a house there in in Hendersonville. Okay. Right. I All bought right. the house. I, the reason I bought the house was that we made an album called Gilbertville, and it was based on, um, it, you know, so to record in Nashville, uh, we decided that we'd buy a, a house there to, to to finally get to make a record there. So I made a record at a really good recording studio there using uh, Nashville musicians. Had a great time making that album. The album was called Gilbertville. There's actually a place, a real place called Gilbertville. You're kidding. And, um, so it's um, so so Nashville is, is kind of home from home for us. Hendersonville overlooks the lake. It's, yeah. it's the old Nashville, it's the Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison area, as opposed to the new side of town. Right, and, uh, more Vegas. So it's, it's nice that we're going to end up uh, at the final show there, and then we can spend a few days afterwards. Just, That's great. Uh, hanging out. Just hanging. If we show up, would you call security on us, or would you be like, hold on, <laughs> hold on, wait, I, I know these guys. It's David Giggles. Hold on. The team would be brought out, and you'd be welcome. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We're talking with Gilbert O'Sullivan. Um, Gilbert, I uh, got listening to your to music yesterday. Just kind of like hit hit. Spotify just yesterday, just let it just the day before no, the I mean, interview. I, I listened way before, but I mean, yesterday I just was in the background. I was working. I just hit shuffle, and I, I I just hit get down, and I think I listened to it five times in a row. I love that song. Get down is so such a great song. That I really much appreciation for that song. I really 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 loved it. Yeah, thank you. Interesting that was when it was recorded. It was meant to be, meant to be a guitar player there. Mm. He didn't turn up for some explicit reason. And so therefore the, the the gap that there would have been a solo in the song, I just put in another verse. So the nice thing about that is there's no guitar, yet it kind of rocks and it's just uh, Laurie Holloway on Fender Rhodes, myself yeah. on the piano, drum and bass and stuff. So it's an interesting thing too, at that time Quadrophini was being introduced. It was becoming the big thing. Quadrophini is, as you know, two yeah. speakers at the front, two speakers at the back. And when Get Down was played on, man, it just really, it was I bet. huge. Yeah. It was really huge. And uh, so, yeah, I have good memories of that. Uh, yeah. Too. And a Fender Rhodes. I mean, is there a, a better sounding instrument than that? I think that's the pinnacle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, was, uh, listen I was listening to an interview you did, and uh, you were talking about when you go into a new album, you kind of like pick a new producer, and mm -hmm. then you let the, the producer come up with the band. Which is I find fascinating. I, I think that's amazing. What do you give like any idea to the producer being like I want it to sound this kind of sound? Because I mean every instrument, every musician is different, right? So getting a new set of musicians has got to be kind of like scary, right? To be like, what are they bringing in? Well, for, this is how it works for me. The last album produced by Ethan Johns, Glyn Johns' son. That was a similar setup. The one before that, Latin Allergy, based on a Peggy Lee album that she did in 1960 called Latin Ali. Uh, we went to Spain with Spanish musicians. Here's how it works. I meet Andy. The reason for a different producer is because it's the same songwriter. It's the same singer. Right. What the new producer brings is that difference. Sure. So Andy has produced Simple Minds, Simply Red and stuff. So therefore, I, uh, I meet Andy. He wants to hear the songs, obviously. So he hears songs without lyrics because that will come after. Sure. And he'll come and we'll play the melodies and he'll pick out 12 that he likes or 13. And then uh, a studio is booked three months down the line, giving me time to write the lyrics. That's fine. That's how it's always been. Then on the studio is booked and I let Andy pick the musicians because I know he'll have good musicians that he's worked with. I, I have good musicians that I could use, but I'm happy to let Andy choose them. They're always good musicians. So I meet them on the Monday morning in the studio. We shake hands. They stand around the piano. I play the first song, words and music. They go back to their chairs. Uh, we rehearsed it a few times, light comes on, 
first day. Over five days, we did 14 tracks. Wow. So it has a very, there's a light, kind of live feel about it. It's not set out to be a live sure. sound. It just works out that way. The good thing about that quick with two guitar players, if there's a solo needed, one can do the rhythm or the other soloing and stuff. So very little overdubbing. Ah, it was an absolute joy. So that's how it worked. Andy's at the desk with his engineer to make sure the sound is good. I mean, it isn't rocket science. It just yeah. works out really nice and stuff. You know, Thanks for explaining that to Dave. Thanks. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to school him, you know? Like, I mean, I, I find it amazing. In the background. I just find it amazing that like you, you kind of come in with new musicians every time and keeping it fresh with that. I mean, that's that's says a lot about your songs, I think, that, you know, you can you can do that and then have like a a career that is like so robust and like cohesive you know what i mean but the good thing also dave and because is, is the fact is by by not having i don't say to the music to the guitar player you mustn't do this don't right. say to don't do that say to the organist player please stay out of that one that's the great thing because they're good musicians and when I play the piano to, and, and sing it to them, you know, my left hand is the drums. I'm rocking away on the rock song. Say, I'm taking take love, take love. They'll hear how it's going. They're, I allow, I give them the freedom to put down. And, and generally that's how it works. If you start getting an area where you're telling them what they should be doing, you lose it. Yeah, totally. So the, the great thing is that they're good musicians. They'll get it. Yeah. They'll get it. Because you're doing it, you're rehearsing two or three times. Maybe you'll do a couple of takes, you know, just, just because you... It, one of the guitar players say, "Let Ray, could we do one more?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's go for it." So, so the, there's a lot of freedom. There's no restrictions, which I think is a dangerous area to get into. Yeah, and I think that's amazing that you, you, as a you know composer, you give such freedom. You know, I think that's where the the magic is. You know, you give yeah, freedom. And they're, and they're an important factor of the record. You know, mm -hmm. I've written a song a day, it was, but but it's you know what they're putting into it is also vitally important. And that for me is a kind of revelation, you know, hearing it. I mean, I'm hearing it a hundred times at home on my own. And so here I am with the guys playing and yeah, I'm knocked out. So, so I'm really excited and stuff. So yeah, long may that continue. Was there any song that like you kind of wrote and you were like, this is pretty good. And then when you went in and then it just took on a whole new, a whole new like persona to the song when it became a full band? <clears throat> uh, well, no, I mean, for example, one of the songs on Driven, uh, sorry, on not on this, uh, on this album, but on the last last album, um, the band tried to rock, it was a ballad, but the, it, it didn't work rocked up. And I said to the producer, it, all this really needs is orchestration, just the orchestration. So the little things like that, it wasn't, it didn't mean that the band had to play differently. It just meant that it didn't suit the band. Right. What, what, is, what it needed. So the little things like that do occur. Uh, but generally, no, I mean, I'm, you know, I like, being surprised by by how it sounds i've got a rough idea of a rock song because i can play quite rocky with my left hand like the drums and right hand like the rhythm um but you know when the when the guys get going you know I, <laughs> i'm into it too that's awesome what's your uh, favorite play, uh, piano to play <laughs> on stage it's, on stage it's an rd 1000 and, and i have um we've just purchased another one for america so it's a backup they're very hard to get hold of RD1000s. Mm. The great thing is, you mentioned earlier, Dave, about the, the Fender Rhodes. I played two songs, uh, three songs on, on the current tour with the electric piano. The RD1000 has really good electric piano sound. Yeah. The RD2000, 3000, 4000, which I reviewed, no, no, I dropped them. So I now have about six RD1000s, which I take in Europe. And we have one in America, but now we have two in America. So we have that backup. You have one so at the uh, Nashville house? 
yeah, that's there. <clears throat> but uh, but here my writing is, is a Bechstein um, piano, uh, grand piano, and uh, <clears throat> in um, uh, what else? Um, we know you got to go in a couple minutes, so you know we're going to be you know respectful of your time if you uh, if you got another. Uh... No, I, what I do have is in the recording studio. I have the purpose-built recording studio, which is up in the grounds of the property. That's a forty-eight track SSL desk, digital. Everything is in there, uh, plus a good live room. And so the piano for that I I bought, uh, I had it made. It's the only grand piano that that uh, detunes uh, because. Hmm. You may be aware that that um, Irving Berlin could only play in one key, so play upright piano. You can transpose an upright piano. You can play in the one key, and you can transpose it to all the other keys. You can do that on an upright, but nobody's ever done on a grand piano. Why I did it is because I have a limited vocal range, so concert pitch to a semitone down makes a lot of difference for me. So mm. Blutner in East Germany made it for me. So it's a unique piano because it's the only one in the world that detunes and stuff. Now you you may say both of you may say. What the hell do you want to detune a piano for? It's all my pianos yeah. have always been detuned, always been under pitch huh. because, because of the limited vocal range. I don't have a, a varied vocal range. Half a tone down, half a tone up can really affect me. Interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> This uh, this has been great. I, I I really had a good time with you today, uh, Gilbert. Uh, this is this is amazing. I well, I, I feel like I'm gonna try to catch. So we give this we give this out to our, any guest that comes on Dame Giggles. We say if you want to do a music video with us, we'll fly to where you are, and we'll do a music video for absolutely free. If you want to release it, you don't you know you can. You don't want to, you, you don't have to. But it's just a it's an open offer to any guest that comes on Dave and Giggles. Let okay. us know. We'll do. Well, you give know. Me an, give me an example of ones you've done then, for example. Uh, so I did a. Oh God, it's been a while. I did I one about coal mining. My daughter, my daughter can show it to me. So you tell me. Sure. Uh, I did a long time ago. I did one about uh, like the the mountaintop coal mining, and there was this sort of rock band that was like trying to you know they basically it was their like you know anthem song to like stop the you know the the removal of the the mining the the mountains in Kentucky. So that was yeah. a long time ago. That was a little bit more political. Now I'm you know I I, I gear toward the more artistic and sort of you know marketable uh, okay. music videos. But uh, he just really know. likes to travel and he looks for yeah. every every opportunity to travel that he can. Sure. But it is let's on the keep, table. Let's keep it in mind. Let's keep it in All mind. Right. I like it. That was a fastball. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta shoot your pitch. But you got Gilbert O'Sullivan, you know, make, who doesn't really like music videos, and you get giggles <laughs> saying, Hey, let's do a music <laughs> video. <laughs> you know, get some thinking. Yeah. Make them remember you, right, Dave? Yeah, exactly. We got yeah. Gilbert O'Sullivan with us. Gilbert, uh I know you, you, you said you're a bit of a, uh, a shy guy when it comes to outside of the stage. How was the uh, pandemic for you? Did, you? did you kind of lock down and write tons and tons of new songs? No, not tons and tons. I wrote them because that's, that was a period where I had to do the lyrics uh, for the last album. And, um, so, and, and for me, lockdown is what I do when I write lyrics anyway. I lock myself away in the room at the top of the house on my own for five days, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. To write the lyrics. Lyrics take a long time for me. Yeah. But it's worth it, worth it in the end. You wish they could <laughs> they could be done quicker, but it's very worth it once you get through, once you're happy with the lyric and stuff. So, I, so most of my lockdown I was kind of used to that. Uh, so it didn't hurt me as much as, of course, the damage and the horror it did for so many other people. No question mm -hmm. about it. So I was I was okay with it. When you come up with lyrics, is it is it kind of like you take all your experiences or do you do you kind of like 
sit in like a public square, look at everybody and kind of absorb everything and then come up with the lyrics? Like what, what's your, what's your, I know you say it takes a while. So like, what's your kind of going into it? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, you know, I'm a good, I am an observer. I like, you know, I see it in the airport, just watching people, but that doesn't seem to have much influence on my songwriting. stuff. songwriting is like a newspaper for me. I mean, first page can be about one subject. Second page could be about something else. Common denominator would be the hook line and stuff. So I kind of like, that's how I like my lyrics to be. On the current album, I talked about global warming. On, on the last album, I talked about mobile phones and stuff. I put them in kind of subtly. I kind of like to just add little things like that because it, it's, you know, so I can return then to the, the, the basis of the song. So that makes lyric, lyric writing interesting for me. But I never know what they're going to be about, Dave, until I, the, the, if the melody is ready and I'm, what, I'm, I like the fact that I have no idea what this is going to be about. Hmm. exciting time and stuff so you know you start off by empty pages but by about the fourth or fifth page you're, you're well on the way and by the end of it you've written more lyrics than you need sure and so, somebody should be tapping on the door and say what the hell are you writing the sixth verse for you're not going to be able to use it it's the leonard cohen thing you just can't you start with nothing and then you end up really it's all coming out Overdo so overdoing it yeah well you can't resist doing it that, that's you know you need it needs to come out even do you write a do you write a story first because i mean like the idea that you're like writing about love or whatever it's going to be but do you kind of like write a story out and then kind of like take that and then come up with the lyrics or is it just all lyrics it's just just the thought process of what what is going to be the it's melodies are determining if it's a fast melody, we know what that's going to be about. If it's a slowish melody, it could be about this. I, mean, I don't analyze it. I just do it and stuff. It, it's, yeah. it comes out the way it comes out, and it seems to work. So that's, that's, the, that's the key factor. Yeah. It does work and stuff, not knowing what it's about, getting into the subject matter. You know, everybody thinks alone and must be based on personal experience. But, but no, I, for me, to make you a good lyricist, have an understanding of a, a serious subject, you can write about it credibly. Uh, you don't have to experience it to be able to do that. That, 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 that I find interesting. That is great. Yeah. It's like a masterclass with Gilbert O'Sullivan. It is great. <laughs> Gilbert, one last question, and then we'll let you go, because I know you got to go. But um, looking back at your career, which is immense and amazing, do you, what would you want to be, like specifically you, what would you want to be remembered for? Like what would be your legacy to your fans and to the world and to all of that? I, I, I wouldn't sort of load up to in in that proportion, Dave. But I would just say, obviously, being a songwriter and stuff, you know, because I know for heroes we all have uh, who passed away, you know, uh, music people and stuff, your, your work, you know, if your work can live on and people get enjoyment out of hearing something you've written when you're no longer around here, I mean, that can't be bad, can it? No, yeah. not at I all. I think you got to ask Dave the same question, Gilbert. Dave, what's your legacy? Oh, that's a good question. I think yeah. I'm halfway through it, so I got a long way to go. I, <laughs> I don't want to call a legacy yet. I got a long way to go, I hope. <laughs> all right. Uh, recap, Gilbert O'Sullivan, he's got a bunch of shows at the city wineries all across uh, the East Coast and a little bit of the Midwest. Uh, I want to go to Nashville. I think my pick is Nashville. I think that's the one that can work for me, and I, I don't think I've been there as an adult, and I kind of want to go. I, I, I kind of want to visit Nashville, you know? But if you do, you must come and see us. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the point. That's what. That's the. Uh, that's the idea. You know. I'll be, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan sometimes. I'm a, I, I'm a borderline. I don't want to say stalker, but sometimes the the musicians might be like, "Who's that guy in the front? Why is Giggles <laughs> right in the front row? What is he doing?" I mean, he does go in the front row. He likes to I be do. right up front. I, I like to get right there. Freaker by the speaker. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard that term, but yeah, uh, I'll be looking. I'll be looking. <laughs> yeah, Gilbert O'Sullivan, thank you so much for stopping by. I really, hey, really had a great hey. time. Uh, good talking to you guys. I will see you in New York, uh, March twelfth at New York City Winery, and uh, I will be there. So keep a lookout for this face and. Uh, Hello. Come and say hello. I will. I will. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. All right, guys. Okay. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's also nice to take a little break from work. I think this is also is. healthy for us to it just is. do something creative. We just get the chat. I just um, got an email from work too. So that's, that's nice. I know I get a lot of, I don't get a lot of, well, I get, I get a fair amount. I'm trying to clear my inbox. That's my goal. Is what are just you down to? Go, oh, I got like 4,000. Why do you have 4,000 emails? But I deleted every email from 2020 or something like that. Or 20, you know, I, I went by the years. I was like, all right, like first you go attachment size, you know, and then you go for like size of emails. And then I went date wise and I was like, well, I don't need anything from 2019. So like, let me just delete the whole year. But then I keep you, stuff. Where were you at before you deleted? I don't know. Probably like 6,000 or. Okay. Five. That's not bad. I, I know people who are just like a lot of emails, like a hundred thousand emails. Oh, no, no. Just I'm like, not like, how do you do that? I, I, it bothers me. I'm at, I'm at a constant like 70 
And like, if I go Seven. over like 500, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take a break. I need to delete these emails because it's all crap. Yeah. I went on a tirade the other day about unsubscribing from like, mm -hmm. I've done that a few times. I just you think people have unsubscribed from us. Well, oh, we haven't really sent out any emails. We haven't really. That's the problem is that we, our... not, <laughs> we don't, we don't uh, tell anybody that we're doing anything. Here's something just in the technical aspect things I need to fix because I am not personally red, but I look red right now on the video. You do. And I, I just, I just had a video meeting for like an hour with, you know, these, uh, these wedding people I work with and I just looked so red. Like I was like, God, I'm the, I'm the reddest one here. You know, and you can't, there was another that, right? girl who was like totally blown out. Cause the lighting was like on her face. You know, she yeah. was just like a ghost, Oof. but I'm just like red right now. I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. I don't think you can adjust colors on this thing. Here we are talking about talking colors. About Zooms. <laughs> talking about Zoom calls. Zoom calls. I mean, I, I, tried, to get out on Zoom. I tried to get a couple guests and then, you know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's in a last minute. Um, to are you burnt out on Zooms? I feel like most people are burnt out. Zooms for me are kind of fresh because I don't do them that often. Like I've, I've, you know, the first year I was like, oh, like I've... I mean, we've we've talked about this. Everybody has a, had a different sort of experience with the pandemic. Some were good, some were bad. But like Zoom for me was like kind of nice because it was like down in my basement. And I was like, all right, well, it's like it's my way into the outside world, you know, right now. I know. It's sort of like, you know, yeah, down. And I mean, know? again, like we were doing it. We weren't doing it on Zoom, but we were doing it for years before yeah. the pandemic happened. That's true. You love talking. You love asking our guests. We'll put this at the end of the show. You love asking our guests like how the pandemic did for them, you know? Yeah. And I was like, if the person's alive, they like, made it. They, they made it. They made it. Like you should just congratulate them. Oh, from now on, we'll, we'll yeah. congratulations for making it to the end of the pandemic. Yeah. Congratulations on living. Uh, welcome to Dave and Giggles. I, Thanks I, for being I, a guest I heard um, him talking about the pandemic and how he was very shy. Gilbert, I'm talking about, of course. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Um, and uh and how he's really shy and the pandemic actually treated him well because he didn't have to go talk to people and have to see people no. so he just yeah. kind of hung out so that's why i brought it up for him yeah apparently I, I still like keeping my distance i think the i like keeping my distance from people i mean i still like to hug people but it's also nice to be like whoa 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 hey you know don't come up to my car you, you, know, you may have covid you know like, anybody you're just hugging anybody, anybody in general you know you just well no, not anybody but people i know i hug you know like and now I ask, I ask for hugs. I say, are, are you know, are you hugging? That's my question now. Is are, you my are you hugging? Are we, are we hugging or, you know, cause like sometimes people are, you know, they, they don't want body contact. I know. And I think the pandemic really gave people the out to be like, I don't hug anymore. That's just not what I do. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. out. and like the pandemic, I think treated everyone to be like, okay, I know that I have about an hour's worth of personal time. And then I gotta be like, I'm out. Because like that's what the Zoom generation did for everybody. But like I got an hour, I could sit in front of this camera, and then it translated to the real world, which is very interesting. Yeah. Which probably fucked our kids up. But what are you gonna do? You know? Yeah. I try to be active in my Zoom calls. Like you know, pay attention. I get a lot of thumbs up. You know, like actively listen because you see people on Zoom calls and they're doing a hundred different other things because you can yeah. see by the screen the screen's moving and their eyeballs are moving. Yeah, and everybody's I, moving all I like over to, the place. I like to give my attention. You do give your attention. People on a, a zoom call yeah um, um speaking of zoom did you see uh woody woody harrison woody harrelson woody harrelson he did snl the other night and now he's become uh outspoken about um the vaccine being 
BS. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I don't like, know. I got a pretty funny story. So, um, like a week ago, I'm on a I'm on a, a text thread with a bunch of my friends. One of them, mm-hmm. you don't know, he lives up north. Sure. In I wasn't on the thread. You weren't so, on the thread. Yeah, you didn't add me to the thread. You're not friend. on this thread. You're yeah, on many other the friends you visit. Basically, yeah. the friends text is called friends you visit. I friends I hang out with. Along. Yeah, exactly. So he um, he uh, for a couple of weeks he's been being like, "All right, guys, you got to admit the the vaccine is total bullshit, right?" And we're like, no. And he's like, it doesn't do anything. And we're like, why do you think we're out of a pandemic? You know, like there's scientific proof that it worked. You know, it's it's good. And he's been giving a shit about it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Anything we send him, he just completely ignored. Then Woody Harrelson came out on Saturday Night Live and said, it's BS. And he's he sent it to us. He's like, see, see, see. And we're like, who's Woody Harrelson? He's not a scientist. Like, right. yeah, don't, yeah. don't don't go by what Woody Harrelson, a known pot smoking, like shiftless lay about us to think of anything, whatever. And then a couple, I think like that was Saturday night, obviously. And then um, by Monday, we weren't kind of we didn't there was no kind of chat going on on the thread. And then one of the other guys said something about, oh, man, that guy really brought this thread down. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you're right. And then got out. He deleted himself from the thread, which has been going on for like three or four years. Wow. It's like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm not on many group text threads because uh, I'm an Android user, which, uh, you know, I guess apparently if you're an Android yeah. user and you're part of a group text on an iPhone, when you're looking at an iPhone, it looks like crap or something. I don't know. I don't, People are like, who? Who is this guy? Who's well, sometimes this guy it doesn't them? go through. Sometimes, really? like, yeah, I, I know someone who had one, and we were on a group thread, and I'd be like, I'm talking to someone, they'd be like, "Did you get that text?" And I'd be like, "No." And sometimes it just doesn't doesn't go through. Mm-hmm. Things don't go through, and then pictures don't come through, right? Really? I can't. I don't understand why they can't get this down. You yeah. know, we live in 2023. We live in the 90s, baby. Yeah, we're you know we're uh, we're in our 40s. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're older. We, I, uh, I did, a oh God, here, I should put it in the, uh, did I screenshot it here. I'll send it to you. Hold on. I got a, uh, this is, this is why it takes me forever. I took a screenshot. Here we go. Look at this. Who's that? You bend it up. Blue. Oh, oh, you shared it in the thing. Hold yeah, I shared it in the thing. Let me say. Buzzing. I don't know if you hear that buzz. You gotta you gotta look at that buzz. Oh, look at that. That's yeah. Good look at but look at how young we look. All right. So the, so the listeners, I just shared a po- photo, maybe 14 years ago of Dave and I just out on the street. I look good. Dave looks good. Like you look young in that, pic, that, in that photo. You know. I do. I look. Well, yeah. You look really young. Look at you. Right. I mean, it was a long time ago. <laughs> that was in Williamsburg. We were just walking yeah. around. Right. Look at that smile. Like, look at the, I just had hair and hopes. You know, hair and hopes and, and these old ass microphones. Look at it. They are old. I, but you got the New York look to you because like you got the headphones, you got the, the canvas jacket, got the, back the backpack, backpack, the shaggy hair, yeah. you know, and then I got the jacket. This is when I bought that freaking cashmere coat or whatever. That was a nice coat, though. And but I would like try to just like go into these. Um, oh, God, I told you this story about going to uh, what? what was it? Sony. I got an interview at Sony, like Sony Pictures or something like that. Really? Well, not Sony Pictures, but like Sony sort of entertainment, whatever. So Deb oh, had a friend oh. who like this is when I was just kind of, you know, coming out like Deb got me a couple good, you know, 
in interviews, little leads, you know. <laughs> but uh, her, one of her good friends worked at Sony and was like, "All right, yeah, I'll give you know, I'll let Mike have an interview with this uh, this guy." But I had an interview with the head of like video or you know production, or whatever for Sony, and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I think I sent them a video of that Pie Boys flat uh, concert that you, me, sure. and Raph, you know, shot, whatever. I remember. And I was like, I produced this. But you know, it's so you know. But I was you know so hungry. But like you know, I to to this guy, he was like, "Who's this guy?" But at least you know, like at least I, I wore the the moral of the story is I showed up, you know, I uh, I that's I what you look like with that jacket. I didn't get hired, but I, I did look good. That's the other thing is maybe uh maybe that should be on my headstone is I look good, but I didn't get hired. I look good, but I didn't get hired. All right, I gotta go. You back. Look good, buddy. You look real good. I'll talk to you later. Good show. Later.